Hi, everybody. I'd like to conclude the week for this uh, Friday devotional, Reflecting on God's Word. And we always open God's Word together, and I, I mean something a little bit more specific. I want to reflect specifically on God's Word. Um, the question how God speaks to us is important. Uh, so this, in some ways, this dovetails with Pastor Ken's series on hedges, on thinking about making decisions because in the midst of those decisions we want to discern God's guidance and one of the ways that we tend to talk about that is we want God to speak to us and so it's important for us to understand as much as we can as to how that happens and I want to talk about some of the ways that it doesn't happen but before we talk about some of those things, I just I want to talk specifically about the value of God's Word and how we access God's Word. And this is, again, going back to a, a quote from Martin Luther that I think I've shared with you many times and, and will continue to share it, I'm sure. It's meant a lot to me uh, for many years now since I stumbled onto it. But it's a quote from... Uh, Martin Luther's final sermon before he died. He said, If anyone would hear God speak, let him read sacred scripture. And and I, I've been helped by that because I think it clarifies this particular question. Uh, where do we go? What should we expect? That's the big question on the table. What is our expectation as Christians when it comes to God speaking to us? And where the rubber meets the road so often for us is when we're trying to make a decision that the scriptures don't give us an explicit command or permission for. So this is how that, that idea uh, dovetails with Pastor Ken's series. Uh, when we're dealing with a decision that we need to make, that the scriptures don't give us a clear black and white, here's what you must do in this situation kind of answer, uh, we want God to lead us. And one of the ways that we tend to talk about that is, is seeking to hear from the Lord, uh, to seek His guidance and to discern His guidance. And so how do we do that? Well, this is bigger than, than what I can talk about in a single devotional reflection, but I want to start here with just the value of God's Word from the Scriptures themselves. And, and one of the things that I, I was struck by is a couple of warnings in the Scriptures about the absence of God's Word. Uh, there's a statement that has always stood out to me in 1 Samuel chapter 3. 1 Samuel chapter 3 begins the story telling about Samuel's birth. And you need to remember when you're reading 1 Samuel that at the beginning of the story, we're still in the period of the judges. Uh, and so most of us from Alfred Allman Bible Church are familiar with that. We just finished a series in the book of Judges not too long ago. And so the, some of the terrible things about the period of the judges... Uh, are fresh in our mind, but this statement in 1 Samuel 3, 1 fits that period of time in so many ways. Uh, and it's simply, the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. Now, speaking in an Old Testament context, before very much scripture was written at all, if you think about the days of the judges and Samuel's time frame, the only Bible God's people had, the only written form of God's Word, would have probably been Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. 
uh, and possibly the story of the conquest of Canaan recorded in the book of Joshua. And so uh, you have those as written scripture, but God was still at that point oftentimes speaking to his people through the, in the form of visions, through particular people raised up as prophets. And we'll see that Samuel is going to be one of those. And so with Samuel, you get the, the renewal of God speaking to and addressing his people. And if you remember the period of the Judges, it was a period where the book tells us repeatedly that everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Well, one of the reasons for that is that God was not directly speaking to them during that season of time, at least not regularly. Another uh, warning about that reality and the danger that there is, because if you, if you take that statement and you kind of lay it over the book of Judges, you can see the bad things that happen uh, when God is not speaking to his people or when God speaks but people ignore or reject what he's saying. Or it, maybe in our context we can think about it this way, when people don't know how to listen to God speak. Uh, and, you, and you might not even think about that. You might think, well, I know how to listen. I, I know how to listen. I've learned to listen all my life. I've listened to my parents. I listened to my spouse. I listened to friends. I know what listening is. But listening to God is different for us. Our relationship with God is not exactly the same as our relationship with another human being. There are differences. There are similarities and parallels, but there are significant differences also. And so we should expect, I think, that our listening to God's Word and how He relates to us through speaking might be different than we anticipate or than we experience with relating to another human being. But there's a warning also given from the prophet Amos. Amos chapter 8 verse 11 is a terrifying, terrifying statement. Amos is is preaching, announcing God's word, and he is announcing a word of judgment, particularly against the northern kingdom. Now, he's actually speaking in the southern kingdom, Judah, at this time, but he's describing and talking about God's impending judgment on the northern kingdom, Israel, as a kind of warning for the southern kingdom so that they might repent, which, of course, they do not do. But in Amos 8.11, he says, Behold, the days are coming, declares Lord Yahweh, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of Yahweh. That is a terrible judgment, that God would stop speaking to his people. Because at that point, he is saying, I am turning you over to your sinfulness. And of course, this was fulfilled in the destruction of the northern kingdom Israel, the exile of the northern kingdom Israel uh, in 722 B.C. And so when God sent them into exile, scattered those people from the northern kingdom, destroyed the capital city of Samaria, and uh, the Assyrian Empire came in and repopulated the northern kingdom with people from all over the world, the people of God who were in rebellion against him and, and had rejected the word that he had spoken to them already, they have no more expectation that God is going to continue to speak to them. He's not 
going to speak to them words of comfort. He's not going to speak to them words of hope. And it's fascinating to look at the way this unfolds as we think about the prophets, um, the big prophets that we might think of, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel perhaps, they largely addressed the southern kingdom, the hopes for the future of God's people to be uh, restored and renewed were delivered to the southern kingdom, Judah, and even when they go into exile, is prophets like Ezekiel and even Daniel, uh, they are actually out in exile, and Jeremiah as well, they're in Babylon, addressing God's people in exile. But the northern kingdom is gone, it seems. And even as there are announcements of hopes of a renewal of the northern kingdom and a restoration of all the twelve tribes of Israel, that those messages of hope are not actually delivered to the northern kingdom, the ten tribes that make up Israel. They're gone, it seems. And so the message of hope is actually delivered to the southern kingdom of Judah. And so the absence of God's word, the absence of God speaking to his people, is a judgment on them. And so it's one of the things that this makes me do, this, one of the impacts that this has on me when I read these kinds of things in the scriptures, is I love the fact that we have such access to God's word today. This book... You can find it on the internet for free. You can own as many as you can get. You can often get them for free. There are millions and millions of copies of the Bible available to us freely. And online we have access to any translation we could hope for. And so sometimes we wonder about the, the benefit of having... 30-something English translations available. Doesn't that breed confusion? And there, there, there are strengths and weaknesses to that reality, that historical reality that we face. We have an overabundance of the Bible and availability of the Bible and access to the Bible in our world today, especially as Western Americans. There are still many countries that do not have access to a Bible that they can actually read and understand in their own language. But... For us, in the West, in America, English-speaking people, we have an overabundance of availability to access, to hear God speak to us in a way that is not true all over the world and has not been true in all periods of history. And when God's Word is not available, it is an act of God's judgment. It is an aspect of God handing people over to their sinfulness and not addressing it with his life-giving word. And it is a grievous thing. And so the flip side of that is should we should really not take this book for granted. The fact that we can hold it in our laps. The fact that we can pull it up on our cell phone. The fact that we can uh, compare English translations and do that level of study. That is unique in world history and in the na in the among the nations today. And so we need to be celebrating and rejoicing and not taking for granted the riches that we have in our access to hearing God speak. If Luther was right, and I obviously believe he was on this point, if anyone would hear God speak, if you want to hear God speak to you, 
All you have to do is open this book. But there's more to say than that. Not only do we have access to God's Word in such an uh, amazing abundance, we assume that we have the right to hear God speak anytime we want to. We, we take that privilege for granted. We are God's children. He has adopted us. We are a part of the bride of Christ. Of course, he would speak to his bride. One more warning to think about is in the book of Proverbs. It's a very common proverb, but it's actually applied, in, in, my, in my opinion, in strange ways and misses the actual point of the proverb. Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18. The ESV reads this way, Where there is no prophetic vision... The people cast off restraint, but blessed is he who keeps the law. Now, if you're famil more familiar with the King James wording, probably, of that first line, you might remember that it says, Where there is no vision, the people perish. Where there is no vision, the people perish. And that line, without the benefit of the second line, is often quoted in leadership books of all places. Ministerial leadership, or even, even in some cases, secular leadership when they're drawing on biblical wisdom. But leadership materials often grab that and they say, you know, you've got to have a vision for your organization. You've got to have a vision for your church, or your, or your church is going to perish. They're going to die. And that is not the kind of vision that's being spoken of. The ESV makes it clear that what the, the proverb is actually addressing is the issue of God's word, revelation from God, prophetic vision. And so when we see a time like 1 Samuel 3, or the period of the judges, where there is no prophetic vision, and the ESV says the people cast off restraint, the, the word that's translated perish in the King James Version, or cast off restraint here in the ESV, uh, cast off restraint is a little more precise as a translation, it seems. Uh, the word means to basically fall into anarchy. Where there is no prophetic vision, where there is no revelation from God, the people fall into anarchy. They do what is right in their own eyes. You have a situation like 1 Samuel 3, 1, where the people have a, the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. There was, a, there was no frequent vision from the Lord. Same kind of idea. But notice the other line. This line does not usually get quoted in leadership books. It's just the first line that gets quoted, and that's always a red flag. Uh, when someone quotes half a proverb, we should beware. Uh, this proverb is then developed positively with a blessing. Blessed is he who keeps the law. And of course, that's the... The, the Hebrew term Torah that we've looked at some in the Psalms, it is a reference to obeying God's instruction, responding faithfully to God's instruction. And so what we see here is a connection between prophetic vision, so prophecy, and law. So oftentimes in the New Testament, Jesus will look back and refer to the law and the prophets. The, he'd be referring to the Mosaic Law, and the prophets, which is actually in the Hebrew Bible, Joshua, all the way up through what we typically think of as the prophets, uh, with the exception of Daniel, who fits in the writings, interestingly enough. But here, where there is no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. This word, again, just to make one more comment about it, it's a word that's used in Exodus 32:25, describing what happened when the people of Israel 
worshipped the golden calf that they instructed Aaron to, to build for them. Uh, I think the ESV might, just might translate it there as run wild. It's the idea of, no, uh, again, no restraint is a good, a good term for it. People do what they want to do. There's no boundaries in place. But instead, blessed is he, there's a blessing upon him who keeps the law. And that's what the prophets were intended to do. We actually get a little hint in the, in the, in the Proverbs here. So in the writings, uh, the Hebrew division of the Old Testament is the law, the prophets, and the writings. And we get a word about the other two divisions in the writings here. So Proverbs is a part of the writings, and it's talking about prophecy and law. And so the, the, the reality is there's an interrelationship between all of these three realities. And what the prophets were designed to do, what their major job description was, was not what we often think of, to tell the future. That wasn't their main job. Their main job was to enforce the law. They're more like police officers than they are uh, prognosticators and predictors of the future. They are, their goal was to call the people of Israel to repentance. And they would do that by reminding them of the law and what it said. There are lots and lots of references to the Mosaic law in the prophets. And then secondly, they would also just observe what the people of Israel were doing wrong. They would indict them. They would uh, present accusations against the people of Israel to specify exactly how they were breaking the Mosaic Law, breaking their covenant relationship with God. And then thirdly, they would remind them of God's promises. And oftentimes that involved building on earlier scripture to paint a picture of, of the future. That God had made these glorious promises and they are going to be fulfilled. And they would sometimes fill in the details. But their primary job, all of those pieces of the prophets, were for the purpose of enforcing God's instructions to God's people. Calling them to repentance, charging them to obey. To obedience and to trust God for the fulfillment of those future promises. And so the blessing comes on a person who is obedient. And so the visions of the prophets were intended to enforce the law. And when we don't have that, when we don't take reference to the scriptures and the revelation that God has given us, we are left to our own devices. Now this is where I want to say a word about how we hear that and how we respond to that today. We all have this in our hands, right? It matters, though, how we use it. It matters how we use it. It matters what our expectation is. So we can say, fine and dandy, we can quote Martin Luther and say, if anyone would hear God speak, let him read sacred scripture. But we, we often don't reflect necessarily on what that last phrase means. Read sacred scripture. You see, he's not suggesting that we simply close our eyes and open our Bible to any random passage and then look in and see what we first, what our eyes first land on. That is a mystical way of approaching God's Word. And I, I don't see any biblical basis to expect God to speak to us that way. Now, some will think and, and kind of wrestle with their experience at this point 
And some will think, well, God can speak in whatever ways he wants to. And that's absolutely true. He can. However, we should expect him to speak in ways that line up with his character in Scripture and what we see him do in the Scriptures. And we see no evidence of that kind of practice. And in fact, the Old Testament repeatedly condemns that kind of divination. This is actually a form of divination. When we just flip through our Bibles and we randomly open to a page and we just look, let our eyes fall down on a particular verse and we say, that's God's word for me. Now, having said that, God is in control. My own understanding of the Bible's teaching about God's providence, and so this would be God's orchestration and management and oversight of everything that happens in the world and everything that happens in your life and in mine, that means that he can and does control where I open my Bible to. If he controls, as Proverbs 16 says that he does, every roll of the dice, every roll of the dice, Every time a lot is cast into the lap, it's every decision is from Yahweh. If that's true, always, and I think it is, it's a theological proverb, and theological proverbs are always true, then I think he always controls where I open my Bible to when I open it randomly. But that is not a form of him speaking to us. So he can, and I think he probably does sometimes, use that kind of thing to condescend to where we are in our misunderstanding of him. He's so gracious to us that he comes down to our level, even in our flawed understanding of who he is and what he's like, and sometimes he will use that to get us where he wants us to go. You see, that's the, the biggest point when we think about God's leading in our lives. And that's the thing that takes away or should take away so much anxiety from us in making our decisions, particularly in these gray areas that we've been thinking about with Pastor Ken's series on Wednesdays. There shouldn't be any anxiety in these things because God is in control. He gives us this great freedom to choose what we're going to do in these areas. He, he doesn't, we, don't, we don't need him to tell us what to do in these areas. Now, to say we don't need him is not to say that he, he's not involved in the process and, and that he shouldn't be involved in the process. It's simply to say he treats us like maturing children. Right? I mean, you, those of you who are parents or have been parents, ideally, I think, you give your children greater responsibility as they grow up and gain greater skill. And what that means is you don't tell them what to do so much. They make their own choices at a certain point. Now, my daughter is four. I don't give her a lot of options. I give her some. But... 
many times I have to tell her, this is what you must do in this situation. You must do this now, and you must not do this right now. Um, but when she gets older, there are going to be more of those opportunities for her to make choices that, that I'm not going to tell her which one to make. She can do whatever she wants. And God treats us that way. And that's where, but, but so often, we, we, we may not be mature. We may not be mature so that we're not ready for that kind of responsibility. Even though God expects us to be. And we've walked with God maybe for years. And maybe we've, we've sat under good teaching. We've had good, healthy Christian relationships. And for whatever reason, our growth is stunted. Now, none of us in our pride wants to admit that reality. But none of us are as mature as we probably ought to be. Given how long we've known the Lord, given how long we've walked with Him, all of us should be further along in one sense, in our maturity. And so all of us can fall into a trap of wanting God to tell us what to do in an area where He's simply given us freedom to choose different options. That's what gray areas are. They are areas where God has given us freedom to choose without sin so that we've got a handful of five options and choosing any of them would meet the criteria of pleasing God and meet the criteria of the Hedges series that Pastor Ken's going through. One of the things that, I don't know if you've seen it yet, I, I'm, I'm not sure that Ken, Pastor Ken's actually said this, but what following these diagnostic questions, the way that Pastor Ken is, is sharing with us on Wednesdays, it's not going to necessarily give you the definitive answer. But what it is going to do is it's going to rule out lots of options. It's going to narrow the field of choice for you. But at the end of the day, you go through the whole litany of questions that Pastor Ken's going to share with us, and he's not done yet. Um, you may still have op two options that are equally legitimate that fit the criteria you might even have three or four you still have to make a choice at the end of the day and the beauty of these kinds of things is God expects us to take responsibility for our actions and make a choice and make it confidently without fear that we're going to be sinning or disobeying God that's what the scriptures are supposed to help us with they give us those guardrails and boundaries that are clear that tell us you can't do this, and so if the choice you're making leads you into this, then that's not an option for you. And so you knock that off the list. But in those moments where we need to make these decisions and we want God to lead us, sometimes we can that desire can be misplaced. We want God to tell us what to do in an area where he's given us freedom, and our desire for him to tell us what to do. We want to see a neon sign flashing in the sky, or we want him to drop something in front of us, or we want him to just, if we just open our Bible, we just want to fall, let our eyes fall on a particular verse. And, and what happens is that we then say, well, that is God speaking to me because he's speaking through the scriptures. But I think that is to misunderstand the way God speaks. He doesn't speak just through isolated individual words on the page in the Bible. He speaks through the meaning, 
The Spirit breathed out the words of this book, all of them, every single one of them. I affirm plenary verbal inspiration of the Scriptures. If you don't know what that term is, go look it up. I affirm that reality. The Spirit of God breathed out every single word that is reflected in our English Bibles. But he, he breathed out those words in a certain order. He breathed out those words through human authors. He breathed out those words in ways that make paragraphs, that make sentences and paragraphs, that make up books. And the meaning, God's message, what is God saying through those words, is rooted in the grammar and syntax of those words. We, all, we can all throw out the, the example that is repeatedly thrown out. I heard it in grad school. I've read it in books. I've heard it from the pulpit. I'm sure I've used it some too. It's a good example. And I think this really happened one time. I don't think it's just a made-up example. But there's the story of somebody who wanted God to tell them what to do, and they opened up, they randomly opened up the Bible and they, their, their eyes fell down to the passage that said, Judas went out and hanged himself. And they said, okay, that can't be what God is saying to me. And at that point, they've done two things. At that point, they've said, one, God speaks through his word, but only if it makes sense to me or fits with what I'm looking at. And secondly, they've actually rejected, they're living the contradiction when they do that. They say, well, that can't be God's word to me. And so they say, I'm going to pick something else. And so at that moment, they've moved into the driver's seat. That's the problem with this kind of subjective assumptions. We open the Bible and we say, God is going to speak to me in the word, and he's going to speak to me through a random passage. Well, at that point, that means I'm in the driver's seat. Now, we think, we, we kind of reason through this sometimes. Most of the time, we just do it because we, we're, we're being driven by our feelings. But if we reason through it, we say, God is in control. God is in control of the page I'm going to turn to. And that is true. But then we make the logical leap, which is a non sequitur, to what does not follow, that whatever I look at then must be God's message to me and God's answer to what I need to do in this particular situation. That is illogical and doesn't fit with what anything that I see in Scripture about who God is or the way that He speaks. He communicates as a person. What we do with God when we do this kind of thing is we impersonalize Him. We, we take the, the beautiful, personal reality of communication and we depersonalize it. We take the Word of God and we make it a magical stone. We turn it into a form of divination when we just do that and we say, that's God speaking to me. You remember the rest of the story in that illustration. They said, that can't be God's word to me, and so they did it again. And so they flipped over a few pages and they read the words, go and do likewise. Now, None of us would conclude that 
God was telling that person to go and take their own life, right? But why? Why would we not? Why would we conclude that God wasn't telling that person to take his life? But we would conclude that any other time we just randomly open to a Bible verse that God is telling us what to do from that verse. I think it's because at one level, and it may even be subconscious, it may not even be the reality on the table, we found something that says what we want it to say anyway. We have a desire. We have something stirring in us, and we may not even know what it is. It may be quite subconscious. And we find something in Scripture that supports that, and then we say, God told me to. God told me to do this. And friends, I just want to challenge you to think about that reality. God does speak to us through his word. That is my fundamental ministry conviction. I wouldn't be so dedicated to preaching this book and opening this book up with you if I didn't believe that with everything that I am. And I do. That line from Martin Luther shapes me very much because I believe it is reflected in the scriptures. The way the Bible communicates is the way communication happens. And so when we want to hear God speak, note what Luther said. He said, read sacred scripture. Reading, true reading, is not simply finding words and any old words and just, and just making sure that you process each one in the order that they come. That's not reading. Reading is, what does the author want to communicate to me? What, does the author, what is the author seeking to communicate? That's the goal of reading. I want to know what the author intended to communicate. And so, you know what? Be honest. With the Bible, it's hard. Reading is hard. Okay, let's just own it. We all know how to read. We learned how to read from a, a really young, little age. But it's something that we had to learn. And it's something we had to grow in. And reading the Bible has extra layers of difficulty. It does. It's an ancient book. It originally was written in ancient languages. Those languages communicated in ways that are different than English. The book has been translated into English, so that creates a little bit of a barrier. Beyond that, as faithful and as good as the vast majority of our English Bible translations are, and let me just say that, I haven't talked much about Bible translations with you over the last year, but most Bible translations are giving you God's Word faithfully. As much as we might quibble about this verse or that verse, and as much as we could say one version in, in this particular verse is, is maybe more clear or more transparent than this other version, as much as we can quibble about those things, you are if you're reading an English Bible from all along the translation spectrum, the vast majority of them, you can be confident that you are receiving God's Word. Because God's Word is not packaged to you in individual words. He did breathe out all of those words, but He breathed them out in a particular sentence, in a particular paragraph, in a particular context. And that's how we access the meaning. That's how we receive the message of God. Whether it, We all want to know, what is God saying to me today? But we need to remember that that's actually the last question that we need to ask. 
none of us want to do that because we're Americans and we're impatient because we're Westerners and we want answers right now. <laughs> and we want, we, we, we really do believe and we magnify the truth that our relationship with God is a personal, intimate relationship. And so we ex have certain expectations because of that, because we know intimate, personal relationships. We have spouses, we have siblings, we have parents, we have close friends. We know what intimate, personal relationships are supposed to look like, and we know what communication in those relationships is supposed to look like. And then we map all of that onto our relationship with God, and in some ways there's truth there, and in some ways there's error. Because God is not just like us. God does not relate to us exactly like our friends relate to us or our parents relate to us. Yes, He is our Father. Yes, Jesus is our friend. Yes, the Holy Spirit lives inside me. We have to be very careful about then drawing conclusions about what that means for how He communicates or how we relate to Him. God's Word comes to us in the form of of a book, a book that is a collection of books. It comes to us through ordinary human communication. And so not only, so to add layers to the difficulty of reading the Bible, it's got these ancient contexts with these ancient customs that are way far distant from us. And we have a tendency to assume when we read certain phrases or certain words that it's just the same thing that we mean when we talk in America. And that's often not the case. And then beyond that, Beyond that, the scriptures themselves tell us that to truly receive the message that's given to us and communicated here, a miracle has to happen. The Holy Spirit has to illuminate this book. The Holy Spirit has to bridge the gap in order for the message of the words that are printed on the page, the words that were breathed out by that Spirit, in order, us, in order for us to receive those words truly, to believe them rightly, and to obey them rightly, we have to have the Spirit working in us. It's not automatic for us. And many of us, we struggle with what that even means. We, uh, again, we make assumptions. And, and I think those assumptions oftentimes are not grounded in what the Scriptures teach. Those assumptions need to be corrected. And so we assume that because I have the Spirit living in me, then I have the key all by myself to read the Bible. And that is something that I've been trying to push you on for a long time in, my, in some of my teaching. We need each other. You see, the Spirit will help you understand the Word of God, but very often, if not always, the way that He does that is by using somebody else in the body of Christ to help you understand. For whatever reason, in God's great wisdom, inscrutable wisdom, God has chosen to use people for our growth, to use other people. For whatever reason, in His great wisdom, even though He lives in me and He makes everything effective in my life, both my own labors, my own studies, my own reflections, my own attempts to be obedient, if they are effective, if I really believe God's Word, if I really obey it, it's because the Spirit has been at work in my life. Directly. But, it also, and maybe even more importantly, works by Him using somebody else. So the Spirit lives in you. The Spirit lives in you, and He works in you and through you to clarify my understanding of the Scriptures. And so I, I do not accept... <laughs> 
this business that I keep hearing that, well, I've got the Spirit, and so I don't need to listen to other people. I don't need to read other writers. I don't need to think about what other people say about the Bible. The Spirit will show me the truth. He will show you the truth through other people. And so you dare not, you, we, we dare not reject the input of other Christians in our lives into how God speaks through this book. He speaks most often in the Scriptures plurally. Most of the commands that are given to us in the New Testament are plural commands. They are to all of us. What that means, what that should, one thing that that should mean to us is that we need each other to even understand those commands. We need the Spirit working in somebody else to help us understand and obey the Scriptures. We need each other to obey. We need each other to repent. We need each other to identify and expose sin in our lives. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. But He works through other people. Very often, I don't see my own sin. I don't see my own failures. Why not? Is the Spirit not living in me? Is He not at work in me? Well, sure He is, but very often He chooses to use somebody else to expose that. He uses somebody else watching my life. And He works in them to identify something that's wrong in me. And that's the way we're supposed to be interdependent. This devotional's gone off the rails. <laughs> my passion has gotten away from me, perhaps, about this issue. The biggest thing that I want to communicate is the value of this book for us. We should be marinating in it. We should not be taking it for granted. We have access to it in a way that is wondrous and fascinating to us. We can look at it on our own. We can read it and we can talk about it with each other and we should be. And we need to expect God to speak to us through it. But we need to temper our expectations on how He does that. An interesting study would be to just pay close attention to how God speaks to people in the Scriptures and to watch how it changes over time. You have to remember that when we read the Bible, especially when we read the Old Testament, we're looking at thousands of years of history. And when God speaks audibly and directly to someone, it is incredibly rare. He doesn't speak, even in the Old Testament, He doesn't speak to every individual Israelite. He speaks to certain people at certain times. And, he, and we get statements like 1 Samuel 3.1, the word of Yahweh was rare in those days. And we could generalize that. The word of Yahweh where He spoke directly and personally to an individual was rare. And it is rare. It's not something we should expect to be an everyday occurrence if we expect an audible voice. And I would challenge you to pay close attention to the way that this is described throughout the Scriptures because I think, and I, I'm not sure about this, I want to be careful here, but I don't think you can identify, I don't think we can identify a single example in the Bible where clearly God speaks to someone inside their heads. And that's often the way that we expect Him to speak. We hear a voice in our head, a word comes to our minds, and we, we automatically assume something bad about ourselves. And I think this is where we get off base. We begin by saying, that couldn't have come from me. And I just want to say, why not? 
Why not? Why couldn't it have come from you? And you say, well, it doesn't match what I know. Well, I, we don't know ourselves as we should. We don't know ourselves as well as we think we do, oftentimes. Our subconscious workings are often doing things that we don't understand. Often. And so when you hear a voice in your head, my default assumption is that that voice is coming from you. Biblically, I would say there's zero basis to say that it's Satan speaking to you. If you're a genuine believer in Jesus, Satan can't put thoughts in your head. Okay, so Satan doesn't have access to your mind. Now, God does. So that's different. So I'm not going to say God can't, and I'm not going to say God never does. But I am going to say, given that he has given the fact that he's given us this wondrous book and he calls us to go here and he points us here even within the book the writers of scripture keep pointing to each other and to other parts of scripture to build their case and to communicate god's message it's all about the words that have already been communicated given that we have this I see no more need, and I think Hebrews chapter 1 even teaches us to anticipate that God is not going to speak to us directly anymore. Instead, he speaks to us the final word in Jesus. And this book is intended to testify to Jesus. From Genesis to Revelation and everything in between points us to Jesus. And so the book is about Jesus, and that's what God wants to communicate. He is the final word. He is the eternal word of God. But he's also the final word that he's communicated to humanity. And so I don't have an expectation that God is going to speak to me audibly. And I don't see any evidence in Scripture, and I could be wrong about this, because some of them are ambiguous. So there are some examples where we don't, know, we don't learn exactly the mechanism. We simply hear God said, but we don't know exactly how that worked. Did he speak through a prophet? Did he speak through... Um, earlier scripture. Did he speak through the Spirit in an audible way that was actually verbal, that they heard with their ears? Or did the Spirit speak internally? We often assume that that's what's going on, but sometimes, most times, the context is clear enough to say most times. I can say that pretty confidently. Most times when we read about God speaking to people, he's speaking to them externally either through a human prophet, so a human mouthpiece, or through, uh, or by directly and verbally speaking. When God spoke on Mount Sinai, they heard him with their physical ears. He wasn't speaking like in their hearts. He spoke and they heard his voice, and that's what was so scary outside of themselves. And that's the way communication normally works, right? Communication to, between two people the person speaking is outside of you. Now, it's different with God because, again, the Spirit does live inside of us. And so can he speak in our minds? Sure. But it seems odd to me. It seems odd to me that he might speak to us and then even point us to Scripture in a way that misuses the scripture, takes it out of its context, doesn't respect its meaning that the Spirit himself breathed out originally. That's the disconnect for me. That's why it's so hard for me to process those kinds of things. Very often when we're making these kinds of decisions and we're trying to make a God-honoring decision, we're wanting to please the Lord, we're wanting to obey Him, we expect 
and it's our expectations that are the problem here, I think. We expect that he's going to tell us exactly what to do. And I don't think the scriptures give us any reason to expect that. Our experience does. Our experience sometimes, and that the problem there, I think, is that we interpret our experience. We all do. We interpret our experience. And the question is, are we interpreting our experience in line with the scriptures? When we have a voice in our head, are we assuming that it's the Lord? And we, we often default by saying, well, it couldn't have come from me. And, and in one sense, there's a nobility to that. We say, if it's a good thing, we say, well, nothing good resides in me. We say, I, I in myself, I could have never produced a good desire like that. It's so against my character. And I think what that assumes, the wrong thing that that assumes also is that we are consistent people. Because we're not. We're not consistent. We are internal con contradictions. Every single one of us. Followers of Jesus who are not perfected, which is all of us, are internal contradictions. We often think things that come out of nowhere, that seem to come out of nowhere, and we either, if it's a really bad thing, we say, well, I would never do something like that. We then assume that it must be Satan. Or if it's a good thing, we then say, well, it must be God. Well, the scriptures actually suggest that it's actually you. That's actually you. And one thing, one thing to see about that is you really are that bad. You really are that bad. We really are that bad. I really am that bad when a d random lust comes into my mind. The, the, Satan didn't put that in my head. I generated that thought. I did in my flesh. <laughs> and so when I want to do something good, yeah, I, I would say the Spirit influenced that thought. But it's not. He doesn't do that like a robot. I mean, sometimes it's weird because we don't we, we want to preserve our free will and so we reject any thought that God could be in control such that we are robotic automa, automatons. And we're not. But then we go to the next, but then when we talk about these things we, and we think about the way God communicates with us, it's like we treat ourselves like we're a computer and he's just put in a program. He's just programmed something in so that it spits out of our mouth or comes into our mind. The thought that comes in, we, we treat it like he's typing it out in our brain. Why? There's some inconsistency there in our thinking and in our theology. Well, I should stop. This was meant to be a reflection on the value of God's Word and our need for it. But it's become... <laughs> a reflection on how we access God's Word and how we apply God's Word in our thinking and in our decision-making. How do we listen to God? That's really the point. We need to be listening with discernment. Um, we should expect God to speak to us when we read our Bible, but we should expect God to speak to us in line with the message He originally communicated. That's probably the last thing I need to say here. What God wants to say to you at any given moment as an individual is not disconnected or separate from what God originally wanted to say to the original audience of the scriptures. That's the most important thing that you can take away from this, probably. God's message to you as an individual from the scriptures is not different or separate from God's message to the original audience of scripture. And that means, to read Scripture properly, you really have to do ask that question first. What did God intend 
to communicate to the original audience. And once you have that in hand, then you begin to say, okay, from that message, what does he want to apply to me? I have a visual diagram of how that works because with the Old Testament, it's a little bit complicated because we're not under the Mosaic law. Uh, and so we, we, we interact with the Old Testament differently. But with the New Testament, I can say this pretty clearly and definitively. The message to you as an individual from any given New Testament passage is exactly the same. Exactly the same as the message to the original New Testament readers. Exactly the same. The applications can be varied. There are lots of different ways these things might be applied in our lives. But the message, what God says to us, is identical. 100%, no variation, no difference. It's identical to the message to those original readers in the first century. And so our job, our number one goal when we read the Bible should not be, what does God want to say to me today? We, need, we should get there. That is an important question. It's not a wrong question. It's just the wrong question to ask first. The first question should always be, can I put myself in the shoes of the original audience? And then to ask the question, okay, so how then does this connect to me 2,000 years or more later? We can talk about those things at another time. Father, thank you for your word. The gift of the Bible is Im immeasurably valuable to us. We tremble at these warnings in Scripture about what happens when God's word is absent. I have often reflected on what would happen to my individual life if somehow the government or the world around me took this book away from me and somehow I could no longer access it that's pushed me to get to know as much of it as I can so that if that day comes I will have hidden enough of your word in my heart that I can survive because I believe like Jesus that man doesn't live on bread alone but from every word that comes out of your mouth and so I want our people father to feed on your word and to see how it nourishes us and builds us up and indeed how you lead us through it, how you speak to us through your word. And I want to help correct our own misconceptions about those things from our experience and from our own limitations and perspective. And so I pray that you would help us all to listen well. We all have... Um, uh, challenges. We have sawdust in our ears. We all need hearing aids. We, we need help to hear your voice clearly in the scriptures. And the beauty of it is that you've given us help. You've given us help in the body of Christ. You've given us the help, the decisive help that we need in the Holy Spirit's work. Help us to understand how that's supposed to look a little bit better. And help us to cling to the truth of your word, especially when we're seeking to Make decisions that we want to honor you with. Help us to understand where the barriers are, where the guardrails are. And help us to understand the freedom that we have. And help us to revel in that freedom and not live in anxiety when we face choices that are not black and white printed on the page for us. Thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that for your spirit living in us to change us, to grow us, to enable us to understand your word. We thank you that our expectations 
can be shaped by the Bible. We can use the Bible as a kind of interpretive grid for how we view the world and for how we view our experiences in it. And we can change our thinking by your grace and by your empowering spirit. And so we want to trust you. We want to believe everything that you say in this book. We want to obey everything that you tell us to do from this book. And where you give us freedom, help us to enjoy it. And help us to not live in fear or anxiety of displeasing you when we are living out that freedom in this world. So we thank you again, Father, for the gift of your word. In Jesus' name.